It's good to be with you, church. My name is Halim Sa. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at the Stone. We're continuing our series in the book of Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. It's a very short book, only about four chapters. If you have your Bibles today, it's right in between the books of Obadiah and Micah. That helps you in any way. It's just so hard to find. I had to wake up real early to find the book of Jonah this morning. I'd recommend just using your Bible app. You know, no shame. You know, it's just hard to find. Um, So what I want us to do today is start at the beginning of the book of Jonah and catch us up all the way to chapter 3 and then focus on chapter 3. If you've missed a week here or there, today's kind of like a catch-up episode on TV, you know, previously on Jonah and... Then we're going to catch you up a little bit, and we're going to go. So we've been looking at a rebellious prophet named Jonah. For years, he had been faithfully been serving God, proclaiming God's word to God's people, even at great cost to himself. But then God tells him to do something this time around, and Jonah says, absolutely not, God. I'm not doing that, God. And he runs away. And it's an incredibly awesome book in the Bible. I'm so glad that the book of Jonah is in the Bible because every single Christian can relate to this. Whether you're a young believer or even if you've been walking faithfully with Jesus for decades, the truth is, as you walk with Jesus, eventually you're going to encounter something in God's word. You're gonna encounter something that he's wanting from you, commanding of you, and you're gonna say, God, you want me to do what? I'm going to do what? I've done a lot of things for you. I'm willing to do a lot of other things for you, but God, I just can't do that. In fact, the older, the more mature believers, people that have a lot of obeying under their belts are oftentimes in the most danger because they think that all of their obeying has earned them something from God. They feel like all of their obeying has earned them a little disobedience every now and then. God, look at all the ways that I've already obeyed you. Surely you understand. And so Jonah finds himself in this position. God has commanded him back in chapter one to arise, go to Nineveh, and preach God's word there. But Jonah thinks God has lost his mind. Now, before we start judging Jonah, which is what all of us do, right? We open up the book, start hearing the story, and we start judging him. We have to first try to understand why Jonah is so adamantly saying no to God. First, we have to understand that the people of Nineveh were a viciously violent people. They would kill, skin their enemies, hang their bodies to terrorize all those who would oppose them. And so Jonah's rejecting God's will is just real practical here. He's saying, God, I don't wanna go there. Why? Because I kinda like my skin. Because they kill people there, right? Nineveh was in modern-day Iraq. It would be very much like if God were to come to you today and to tell you, I want you to go preach the gospel in the streets of Baghdad, in the streets of Mosul. Just start preaching the gospel. You would say, God, maybe you're calling me to Spain, Um, (laughs) which is where Tarshish is, which is the place that Jonah escaped to. And so a little bit more sympathy for Jonah. And here's the second reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid that God was going to save them. 
He was afraid God was going to save them. Jonah hated the Assyrians. He hated the Ninevites. He thought they were so wicked and evil and he didn't want to go because he was afraid that God was actually going to save them. Do you have people like that in your life? People that if you were real honest, you don't want to see them saved. People that you have in your life that's made your life on earth so miserable, you can't imagine dealing with them forever in eternity, right? You're like, if they get saved, it won't be through me, right? <laughs> or you hear that they did get saved and you're like, well, we'll see, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't feel that way about anybody. But if there are people that God has placed in your life and you've never shared the gospel with them and you have no intention of moving forward in your relationship with them so that you can share the gospel with them, then in practice, you're doing exactly the same thing Jonah did. You might not think you hate them, but in practice, you are hating them because you're withholding the greatest news anybody could ever have, the greatest happiness, the greatest joy and freedom they could ever experience. You're saying, nope, not for you, not for you. And so what we see in Jonah's life and what we see in our lives is that oftentimes we don't disobey God just because, right? We don't disobey God just because. We have lots of good excuses and reasons for not obeying, but nevertheless, it's still disobedience. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, but he flees to Tarshish instead. From where Jonah is, Nineveh is about 550 miles by land to the east. But this is how determined Jonah is to get away from God's command. He leaves to go to Tarshish, which is about 2,500 miles by sea to the west. I listened to Pastor Tony Evans preach on Jonah this week, and it was incredible. Much of what I'm going to share with you today, I learned from him. He said that Jonah would rather be 2,500 miles outside of God's will than be 550 miles inside God's will. And so Jonah has now become a renegade prophet. Jonah is on a boat, he's on the sea, running far away from God as possible, and Jonah, chapter one, verse, verse four, tells us that God hurled a great wind at Jonah. He literally threw a storm at him. And our West Campus pastor, Ross Lester, when he preached on this, he said that the word hurl there that the Bible uses is like the hurling of a javelin. It's a throwing with accuracy in mind and, and God doesn't ever miss. And so God is targeting Jonah. Any of you feel like God is targeting you? That he's just picking on you? That you ever feel like he's just not letting up on you? The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he takes to the woodshed. It says that, go look for it. Whom the Lord loveth, he takes to the woodshed. It's Hebrews chapter 12, paraphrased. Whom the Lord loveth, he disciplines. He won't just let you run away. He's going to come after you. Listen, if you're here and you're living in disobedience and you know you're living in disobedience, and if God isn't coming after you, then you must be somebody else's kid. You must be, because if you are God's kid, he's going to come after you. You're grumbling because you feel like there's a storm with your name on it. You're complaining because you feel like God just won't let up. He just won't give you a break. He just keeps coming after you. Well, don't grumble, don't complain. That's one of the greatest proofs that you could ever have that God actually loves you and that you belong to him. 
When we look at the story of Jonah, we look at the storm and we think, oh man, how dangerous must have been this storm. But the storm's not dangerous for disobedient Christians. If we're disobeying, if we're running far from God, what's dangerous is not the storm. What's dangerous is calm seas. Calm sailing seas with no opposition. That's scary. That's scary. If you belong to him, he's going to come after you. And so God goes after Jonah here, not because he hates him for disobeying, but because he loves him too much to let him keep disobeying. If you're a parent in the room, you know exactly what this is. He hurls a great storm at Jonah. Then Jonah says, throw me in the water. He'd rather die than obey God. He's a very dramatic prophet. But God's like, not today. I didn't tell you to die today. I told you to go to Nineveh. You're going to Nineveh today, right? He's a good parent. And so he appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And there in the belly of the great fish, after three days and three nights, Jonah, he finally prays. He finally repents. What's important for us to see here is not is that not until there was a heart change was there a circumstance change. Not until there was repentance did the discipline let up. It's important for us to see that God didn't release Jonah just because he prayed. Some of you are like, I've been praying, and I've been praying to God for years that, that he get me out of this mess, and he's just not coming through. Well, Jonah prayed. Prayer is a critical element to the Christian life, but Jonah didn't just stop with prayer. He repented. He identified where he was disobeying, and he made a commitment to obey, and that's what repentance is. It has two parts. Number one, it's a turning away from your disobedience. It's an identifying where you're disobeying and turning away from it. Right? But that's just step one. Step two is not just turning away from your disobedience, but turning towards obedience and walking in step with obedience. And so Paul says later, the one who steals, right? The one who steals must steal no longer. Stopping that sin is important. The one who steals must steal no longer, but must work. He must work so that he might have something to share. This is what repentance looks like. Some of us, many times, our goal is to just identify our sins, right? We hear a sermon or something, we hear God's word, and we become convicted. Our goal is to just stop doing that. Just stop, whatever that sin is, just stop doing that. But don't you see, that's just half repentance. Half repentance. If you ask your kid, how was school today? And your kid says, well, I didn't hit anybody today. Okay, good. You want a cookie, you know? Some of you are desperately trying to stop looking at porn, right? Your goal is to just stop looking at porn. But perhaps repentance looked like coming over here and serving against human trafficking, right? Some of you are addicted to spending, addicted to consumerism. You're just trying to stop spending. But perhaps God is calling you to come all the way over here and start serving the refugees of our city, the poor and oppressed of our city. The goal isn't just to stop sinning. The goal is to turn all the way towards obedience. 
God doesn't just want you to stop sinning. He wants you to obey. And the nature of God's loving and fatherly discipline in your life is that it will never let up until you repent, until you turn away from your disobedience and make a heart commitment towards God, obeying God once again. Until that happens, there are just certain things that God is not going to release you from. He loves you too much to do that. I'm not saying all suffering and every storm in your life is because of disobedience. We saw that through 1 Peter. But I am saying probably many are. Many of us in here are needlessly going through storms because we're disobeying. And so Jonah has repented. He's now been vomited up by the fish. You think fish smells bad? Think about what fish vomit smells like. The only thing worse than vomiting is being vomited. This shows us that just because you repent doesn't mean life is hunky-dory, right? This catches up to chapter three. Chapter three, verse one, tells us that God's word came to Jonah a second time. God's word came to Jonah a second time. Chapter three, verse one, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Many of us in here, our testimony is that we sit here saved today because God's word came to us a second time. He didn't give up on us. He pursued us with a second word, perhaps with a third word. I want want to remind you today of the good news that we heard last week that our God, he's the God of the second chance. One of the greatest truths that's told not just in the book of Jonah but all throughout the Bible is that God hates sin, yes. He hates sin, he does, but he loves to forgive. If you're looking at your life and thinking, I remember when God called me to go to Nineveh but I did it, I ran away to Tarshish. The word of the Lord is going to come to you a second time. And isn't it astonishing that God's word hasn't changed? It's like like a copy of chapter one. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. It's the same message. Arise and go to Nineveh and preach the word that I'm gonna tell you. First, it's astonishing because it means that Jonah isn't disqualified from ministry. Jonah's disobedience, his failing and rebelling and running away hasn't disqualified him from ministry. In fact, repenting and being forgiven and experiencing God's grace has further equipped him for the ministry, right? Having just repented, having just experienced God's salvation, it equips him even more to go and preach the message of repentance in Nineveh. Many of you, you used to dream great dreams about serving God but sin and past failures have made you feeling like you've blown it. You're saying, how could God use a sinner like me? But listen, it's not your righteousness or lack thereof that qualifies you. It's God's forgiveness. It's God's grace. It's God's calling upon your life that qualifies you. As long as there's repentance in you, you can dream those great dreams once again. Another thing that's astonishing about God's unchanged word is that it shows us his uncompromising nature. Yes, our God is the God of the second chance, but he's not going to change his demand to make it easier on you the second time. God is not saying, maybe I was too tough on him the first time. Maybe I just asked too much of him. I'll lower what I'm going to ask of him. God's word to you will always be the same. God will never lower his standards just because you failed. Jonah had to change his rebellion to satisfy God's word. God's word was not changed to satisfy 
Jonah's rebellion. God will never lower his standards so that you can obey. Instead, he'll just give you more grace. Instead, he'll just give you more power of the Holy Spirit so that you can obey. Verse three tells us, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, having seen the whole story, wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been so much better, so much easier on Jonah if he would have just obeyed the first time back in chapter one? If this was Jonah chapter one, verse three, right? He ended up obeying anyways. God's will can't be thwarted by man's disobedience. That's great news, by the way. God's will cannot be thwarted by your disobedience. He ended up getting his way anyways. Wouldn't have been so much better to just obey the first time. There would have been no money wasted to pay his fare to Tarshish. There would have been no storm. There would have been no drowning. There would have been no fish, no being vomited. I wonder if we were able to speak with Jonah right here, right here in chapter three, verse three. Jonah, if you could go back, would you? And would you do some things different? What he would say. And I wonder if we, as we assess our lives, if we could go back in time. If you could go back in time, are there some things that you would do differently? Perhaps you've run away and You've disobeyed and you've experienced the storms of God's discipline in your life. You've experienced the consequences of your disobedience. Maybe you wouldn't have taken part in those sexual relationships. Maybe you wouldn't have gotten caught in a pattern of looking at pornography. Maybe you wouldn't have told that lie that you're now, you've been keeping up for years. Maybe you would have forgiven and reconciled years ago instead of keeping up that bitterness or more explicitly paralleling Jonah, some of you here, as you sit, you know for a fact that God has called you to go to the nations. But you've refused. Or you know that God has called you to share the gospel with that neighbor, that coworker or a friend, and you've refused. You've made all sorts of excuses and you have lots of good reasons for having not obeyed. And perhaps just the general sense of misery that you're experiencing right now, perhaps the tumultuous storm that you're experiencing in your life right now is because you've been living in disobedience and God's coming after you. The question is, when you look at your life, do you wish that you could go back and just change some decisions that you've made in your disobedience? Well, here's the thing, you can't go back. None of us can But from this point on, from now on, what I can promise you is this, if you're God's child, every time you disobey your future self, your future self is going to wish that you would have just obeyed to begin with. Your future self, if they could, would go back and change the fact that you've disobeyed. How do I know? Because right now as you sit, you look back on your life and wish that you would have obeyed to begin with. As our pastor Matt Carter likes to say for the Christian, for God's children, it's a monumental waste of time to disobey. Why? Because God's promise is that the good work he started in you, he will bring to completion. 
God will patiently, enduringly, lovingly work discipline into your life. He will bring storm after storm into your life until you turn. God's word is going to come to you a second time, a third time, a fourth time until you repent, until you turn and commit your life to obedience once again. And so for the Christian, disobeying is just a monumental waste of time. And Jonah is finally obeying. He's in Nineveh now, declaring the message that God has given him. And what is that message? Verse four, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The message is this, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In Hebrew, it's only five words. Probably the shortest sermon ever preached, just a five-word Sermon. Some of you are wishing you had a five-word sermon today. Just, just a five-word sermon, this is the result. Verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least of them, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that, he is, that is in his hands." Verse five tells us that the people of Nineveh believed God. They called it fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. In other words, the rich repent, the poor repent, the old repent, the young repents, everybody repents. And look at verse six, the king repents. The king of Nineveh, think about all that the Ninevites are guilty of, all that this wicked and evil kings under rule and reign. And so maybe the most guilty, the most wicked man in this entire evil nation, he repents. And not only that, he shows us what repentance truly ought to look like. Verse six tells us that the king got off the throne. He removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. He's showing us what repentance looks like. He's showing us that you can't repent from the throne. Can't repent from the throne. Some of us are kind of trying to halfway turn back to God. The thing that you're trying to desperately not give up is your throne. Repentance demands that you get off the throne of your life, that you give up all control. Any sense of maintaining your own comfort, power, and control, it has to die. The Bible tells us that if you have to lose your life if you want to gain it. If you want to gain your life, the Bible says you have to lose it. And the king demands in verse 7 that even beasts, herds, and flocks, all the animals have to repent too. Now, animals can't get saved. I'm sorry, dog lovers. Animals can't get saved especially cat lovers, dogs actually might get saved, but cats for sure, for sure, not getting saved. So animals can't get saved, but what's, what's the king doing? He's showing us the nature of repentance, the nature of the desperation that we ought to have before God when confronted with our sinfulness in light of his holiness. He's saying, God, all that I am, all that we are, everything that we have, all that we are, we're just turning, God. 
We're turning, we're repenting from its present course and trajectory towards you, God. And I wonder if you've ever been this desperate. Have you ever been confronted with the sin in your life? At the same time, confronted with God's holiness. And has it ever driven you to utter desperation? Right? To the point where you say, God, I'm not withholding anything. This is all of me, all that I am. All that I have, I'm turning. Right? I think many times in our turning, with, we, we withhold some things. We say, God, you could have this, but not here. This far, but no further. And the nature of true repentance is that there is an utter desperation in you, and you say, God, here's all of me. Now, what is the message that brought about the greatest revival ever recorded in human history? Because make no mistake, this is the greatest revival that has ever happened that an entire city, man, woman, child, and animals, they all get saved. What is the message? Just five words in Hebrew. In the English, it's yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Here are the two critical parts of God's message to Nineveh. One of the part is this. Nineveh will be overthrown. That's one of the parts, right? Nineveh will be overthrown. God is saying, your wickedness, your evil has come before me and I will destroy you. In other words, this is the message from God that reveals he is the God of justice and righteousness and holy wrath. He will by no means clear the guilty. But the good news is that there's another part of the message. The other part of the message is this, yet 40 days, right? Yet 40 days. In other words, God is saying, though you are wicked, though you are evil and deserve destruction, and I've endured your evil for years, I'm going to give you the mercy of 40 more days. I'm going to give you the mercy of 40 days to repent. This is a message from God that, he, that reveals that he is the God of mercy and grace and forgiveness, that he is the God who is slow to anger and quick to forgive, that he is a God who hates sin and seeks to destroy it and all those who run after it, but at the very same time that he is a God who loves sinners and seeks to forgive and reconcile with those who run after him. This is the five-word sermon that brought a whole nation to its knees. That our God, he is the God of justice and mercy. That he is the God of wrath and grace. That he is the God who will by no means clear the guilty, but that he is the God who loves to forgive. Sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? Sounds like the cross, doesn't it? At the cross of Jesus, the justice of God and the grace of God embraced. The cross of Jesus is at the very same time the greatest demonstration of both God's wrath against sin and God's love for sinners. At the cross, God poured out the true storm of his wrath against sin. He poured out all of it. He did not withhold a single drop of his wrath to show us that he is the God of righteousness and justice. But at the cross, instead of pouring out the storm of God's wrath out on us, who are just as rebellious as Jonah, who are just as wicked and evil as Nineveh, instead of pouring it out on us, he poured it out on his son instead, to 
to show us that he is the God of righteousness and justice, yes, but he's also the God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. See, many of us in dealing with God, we just want him to lower his standards, lower his standards of justice, lower his standards of righteousness, then perhaps maybe we can obey then perhaps maybe we could be found acceptable to him. But our God cannot and he will not do that. But here's what he will do. He won't lower the standards of his righteousness and justice, but he will give you more grace and more mercy. And so Paul tells us where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's our hope. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is the gospel accomplished by the cross of Jesus. And so Jonah's message to Nineveh, it was just a glimpse. It was just a pointer. It was a five-word preview to the message of the cross. And Jonah himself, Jonah himself, the preacher of God's word, was, he was just a pointer. He was just a pointer and a preview to the person of Jesus, God's word come in the flesh. Matthew chapter 12 says this in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. In Matthew chapter 12, we see that the scribes and the Pharisees, they wanted Jesus to put on a show. They wanted to be entertained. They wanted to see signs. And Jesus had just performed lots of signs, healing the blind, the lame, and the sick, and so Jesus says, you are an evil generation. You want a sign, I'll give you a sign. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the great fish, so I'm going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he says that the men of Nineveh are going to rise up at judgment day and condemn them. In other words, what? Jonah's real. Nineveh's real. They really repented and they were saved, right? It's not just some allegory. It really happened. Jesus said it happened. But the point that Jesus is making is this. If the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, then don't you see someone greater than Jonah is here? How much more should we be a repenting people? Look at the last two verses of Jonah chapter three. The people of Nineveh, from the least of them to the greatest of them, fast and put on sackcloth and repent. And here's what they say in verse nine. They say, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The people of Nineveh hear a five-word sermon from a reluctant preacher who didn't even want to be there, who didn't want to see them get saved, and the people of Nineveh repent. They repent as seriously as they know how, but did they have any assurance? No, look at verse nine. They say, who knows? Who knows, we don't know, but maybe God will turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish, and he does. The people of Nineveh heard a five-word sermon from a rebellious, reluctant preacher, and they repented without any assurance that God would actually forgive. 
but something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is the true and better Jonah. How? I want you to think about this with me. Jonah was commanded to preach the word of God, right? Jonah was commanded to preach the word of God, but Jesus came as the word of God in the flesh. Jonah said, I'd rather die than go to those sinners. But Jesus said, I will die so that I can go to those sinners. Something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was thrown into the sea to appease God's wrath against him, against his sins. But Jesus was thrown into the sea of God's wrath to appease God's wrath against us, against our sins. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and he was vomited out. But Jesus was in the belly of the grave for three days and three nights and was resurrected out. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah preached, and the king said, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God will relent. But Jesus has preached the gospel of the cross, which promises us, which assures us, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah saw a king get off his throne to repent. But Jesus is the king of kings who has God off his throne so that we might repent. God used Jonah to save one nation. But God has used Jesus to save people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. How much more should we be a repenting people? How much greater hope should we have as a people that this lost world, that this city would repent and turn to a savior named Jesus? Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We live in these times. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a book named Jonah, four chapters long. So hard to find in your word, and yet it shows us precious things. Father, thank you for Jonah, who shows us that you are a God of the second chance. Thank you for Jonah that shows us that even though we have been running away far off to Tarshish, that you will not leave us to our disobedience, that you will not let us run far off from you, but that you are a God who keeps coming after us. And Father, as we sit, maybe right now, you are coming after some of these in this room. And Lord, let them see it as grace. Lord, let them see it as mercy. Lord, let them see it as your second word, your third word, your fourth word. Let them see it as the mercy of having a God who truly loves them. Let them see it as grace that they truly belong to you. And Lord, will you enable them by the power of your Holy Spirit to turn. Father, we thank you for Jonah, but we thank you so much for Jesus, the true and better Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the demonstration of both your unrelenting righteousness and unfathomable grace. Let us stand in awe of the totality of who you are and let it drive us to be constantly be a repenting people, turning from our ways to your ways. People that constantly pray, Lord, let not my will be done, but yours be done. In Jesus' name we pray.